0: Matt Magindy is a sports correspondent for the Evening Standard and has twice been nominated in the Sports Journalist of the Year Awards. Today, I'm talking to Matt about his book, Nazare, Life and Death with the Big Wave Surfers. Matt Magindy, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Just to get our bearings, where is Nazare and what was it before the arrival of Big Wave Surfers?
1: So if you imagine Portugal and Lisbon, the capital, um, if you drive about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes north of there, you come to Nazaré and, before it, it became this big wave surfing mecca, it was merely a, a fishing village, and, and it still is now. So fishing and the, the seamen there, that's a very, very important part of their community. Um, so that is all around the fishing. But what also used to happen in the summer months, and it's still very popular as a tourist attraction, I think in the sort of 50s, 60s, it became quite um, an appealing place, celebrities and stuff, there's some funky photos taken, so it became that. But what happened was, once it came to sort of September time, and the weather started to dissipate, um, the place would shut down. So between October and March, which is the window we now see as the big wave surfing window in Nazareth, it was a bit of a dead town. So you'd see all the shop fronts would shut down, the cafes, restaurant, and it was very much a seasonal place. Now it's a 24-7, 365 days of the year um, place that's buzzing the whole time because of this added sort of extra life that's been given. And it's been dubbed Surfing's Everest. What does it take to earn that title, Surfing's Everest? Well, I think it's two Two parts, obviously it's consistently, well, it's the one where the records are being broken. So first Garrett McNamara surfed a 70 foot wave, then a 78, now the record's 86.5 feet. So it can lay claim to the fact that record books, all the records are being set there for the most part. Um, you know, some other places are in the high 60s, low 70s, but this is the one. But the other part about it is the consistency of waves. So there's more big waves happening in this spot than anywhere else during the big wave surfing season in a year. So you can have more and more big days. So your chances, it increases your chances, more big days, more chances to, to, to ride the wave of your life. And how exactly do you measure and verify wave height? Uh, It's a very good question, because it's actually quite a contentious one. So some people uh, will say someone else's wave was bigger than another. If you go onto the internet, you'll see someone claiming they've done a 100 foot wave or someone's claimed 115 foot wave. So there's a lot of that. Um, swinging around, and, and sometimes it can be perceived as nonsense by the surfers themselves and those watching. But essentially, what they're doing with the wave—if uh, you look at the cover of Nazare, you will get a good sense of it. The book, you see a surfer there, uh, Lucas Fink, and the size of him. So he's just shy of maybe six foot or something. And so you're you're using the size of that of that of that surfer. Um, but also you're working out the size of him as to how he's posed etc crouched down so they take that measurement they take the top of the wave and the bottom of the wave at the biggest point but they're not just using one um photograph they're using a bunch of photographs that people have taken from the cliff top or the lighthouse but also um moving footage videoing um from from the cliff top and the drones above as well so using as much information extrapolate as much information so the more data they have the more realistic they can be in their measurement um i still don't think it's a perfect science there's some work being done Done more and more to to get this right, but I mean, how, how do you measure something that's moving moving as fast as that? That's as big as that, and, and breaks in a different way every time. Nazareth directly faces the North
0: Atlantic. What impact does that have on waves in Nazareth? Other than big, of course.
1: How else do surfers describe them? Portugal is is, is the point in Europe where where those waves are, so the big north atlantic storms are brewing and that's the first time they hit kind of land so you create a combination of 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 those storms the swells the the wind etc all um gather together uh, to push this sort of water and the energy of the water to the shore but then you've got this incredible deep canyon uh, underneath which is the peculiarity, I guess, of Nazare, that forces these this enormous surge of water suddenly from such a deep, deep, deep place to actually quite a shallow thing. And, and waves are all about energy. Here in the UK, our waves aren't massive because it's all quite shallow in the lead up, so it loses its energy. There's different points in in, in Australia, for example, where you, you can have these big waves. There is that energy to be able to be created. But here in Nazare, there's such a big, big power of water that suddenly goes, and so sort of, it, it pitches up. Um, I mean, they just talk about it at the surface themselves as just Mother Nature. Um, They've got different names for it. Sergio Cosme, one of the main characters in the book, likes to call the wave Big Mama. Um, So everyone has their different uh, descriptions and interpretations, but all talk about this wrestle, this battle with with, with Mother Nature in these crazy waves. And how do the waves of Nazareth compare with other big wave sites around the world? In Hawaii, Tahiti, mainland USA, South Africa, how much bigger are they? What's interesting about it? Like I've I've not been to as many of the other big wave sp- spots, but but if you look at the record books, I don't know where the top ten are, but I'm pretty sure for the most part the majority are in Nazaré. But what's different is most of those ones you talk about a uh, uh, reef breaks often way out to shore. The way Nazaré is different. The 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 force of the water and the way it's breaking is not on a reef. So when if a surfer gets bashed down, they'll they'll hit sand and silt at the bottom um, on on the occasions that they do so. So it's different in that sense. But the other aspect is it's so close to the shore. Again, if you look at the book, you see, so people don't believe that's a real photograph. There's people standing next to a lighthouse and you can see the wave and it almost looks like the wave's gonna fall on top of those people there. People have said it's like a tsunami coming into the shore, but actually the photo's taken a little bit further back. and. There is a bit of space between it, but it's closer than you, you would, you would imagine for most with big wave spots. So that's what's so appealing. People can just trundle down this tarmac road and stand there and see this up close and personal, see this wave and feel the, the, the ferocity of it. Because the whole ground, the first time I went there was actually, luckily enough for a big, a big swell, sort of 50, 60 footers. And the whole ground is, is rumbling and shaking. And it feels like you're in this earthquake and you're like, I mean, you almost don't want to get out of your uh, place where you're staying because it feels a bit, uh, you can hear the, 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 the shutters on the windows rattling and then you walk down there and you look down and there's people in jet skis and on surfboards and you're thinking, these are mad men and, and mad women and I, I think they probably are. You tell the story through four different characters, four different people, each big wave
0: surfers at Nazaré. What attracted you initially to their lives and to their stories, both as a journalist and as a storyteller?
1: So it's interesting. The back the backstory to this is almost by default. We went on a family holiday to a place near near Lisbon called Almoçame, where we stayed in this beautiful my wife and two kids in this beautiful little um, house attached to a, a bigger house that's family owned, and a very friendly family. Got talking to them, and the dad found out that I was a, a sports journalist, so he was interested and said he should meet my son. He's called Nick Von Rupp. He's a Portuguese big wave surfer. Now at this point. Von Rupp was didn't have as big a reputation as he does now. He's Portugal's best now, but at that point he was doing the competition waves, that that the smaller waves like the competitions we'd see now in the Olympics. Um, but I got talking to him and did a feature with him, and it did it actually really well. And off the back of that, I think he helped it helped him get some sponsorship deals. So he was really grateful. So invited me over to come and do some more stuff. So I did some other pieces with him. And while I was there, I suddenly realized, well, wait a second, there's something here, you know, beyond Nick Von Rupp, who in himself was a fascinating character. Like he speaks five languages, educated, good looking guy. He's got this beautiful girlfriend who's a famous actress in, in Portugal. So there's all, all his story alone was fascinating. And his dad, was the executive producer of the film Platoon. So there's all these different strands and that was him alone. But as as he was very gracious and kind to have me tag along, he introduced me to all these people and we'd go for dinner. And then suddenly you'd hear these stories of all these different people and realize how fascinating they were. Um, And I didn't want to just focus on the local surfers because what makes Portugal so special is this disparate collection of people from all over the globe. And so slowly I stumbled across the characters who I wanted to have as the main ones in the book. I was fascinated by Garrett McNamara because he was the first one ever to have surfed the, the big wave on the big days back in 2011. But his story in many ways has been told. There's a fabulous documentary, HBO documentary um, called 100 Foot Wave on it, and he'd done a book on it. So while he was really important to tell his story, I chose not to have him as as, as a character, no disrespect to him because he's the father of the wave, but I chose to have Nick von Rupp because he's a Portuguese big wave surfer. I chose to have Sebastian Steutner, one of the the, the best surfers and went on to break the world record because he approaches the wave so differently. He's a German, um, almost scientist. He brings science to this and he uses the Porsche wind tunnel. He's getting a, a body suit kind of made up of him so you can test everything so every which way and he has a military doctor sometimes with him on the on the big days to help him and, and make things safer I found him fascinating so he became an immediate character and then Maya Gabera became an immediate character for me also um not just I mean it's fascinating that she's she's female and and she has the world record for biggest wave ever surfed by a woman but also her, that wave of 73 foot is bigger than almost all the men has ever, have ever surfed so what you know she is on a level playing field with these guys and I love that and her story was that she nearly died and was nine minutes in the water should could have drowned, not you or I, and most people listening would probably have drowned from that, but amazing. She did. And it's hard to watch her being resuscitated on the beach with um, CPR, but, but she lived to tell the tale. You and I would have run a mile. Well, I'm I'm, I'm I'm putting this idea in your head. I certainly would have run a mile. I would have too. Don't worry. Yeah. Right. Well, she instead decided to move there, buy a house and live in Nazareth and now surfs it the whole time. Um, Obviously, I'm based in the UK, so I wanted a a, a British um, surfer. And the, and the main one who's been there from, from the very start is Andrew Cotton. And he's a lovely guy, as nice a guy as you'll meet. A British plumber who I found fascinating. He gave up this job as a plumber just to chance it in these waves and became a great success story. Can I say that uh, I can see the connection with water as a plumber, but the risks are vastly different. <laughs> no, that's very true. I mean, he says if he was a normal, rational person and wanted to make a living, he would have stuck with the plumbing. But... Um, he can't help himself it's there is like an addictive element to it um the the book opens with with cotton nearly losing his life or so it seemed to me and others watching um but he didn't even want to go out on that day because he didn't feel right the waves looked bad and he knew he or feared he'd get in trouble he's sitting in this little villa where he's renting for the season and he sees these big waves and like a siren's call they lure him in and he can't help himself so in he goes and gets himself in, in in terrible trouble but he just he just loves it, can't get enough of it. Um, it's sometimes I think he has a battle with it, with family back at home, with, you know, he's going into his mid-40s now. Should he still be doing it? There's sometimes there, but the, the love and the lure of the wave always always wins, certainly over the plumbing as well, I think. It's a really interesting passage, I think, uh, the birth of Nazareth, and it begins like this.
0: No one ever used to surf Nazare on its monstrous days. Local surfers and bodyboarders knew where the tipping point was for dicing with death. They would still walk down the road to the lighthouse on those days and look at the feral nature of the water. But bar the fishermen further out to sea, the waters stayed empty on such occasions. Being out there was unthinkable, the risk simply too great. Now, you've mentioned Nick von Rupp, a local He grew up in the area. Didn't Nick
1: get that message? Well, obviously not. Actually, it's quite funny you should mention him because this week on, on social media, he's been showing clips of his first time in the wave. And, and, and in, in the really super big waves, these guys and girls are being towed in by the jet skis because they become too big at some point for them to be able to do it. But here, his first time in Nazare, he's shown these clips of him paddling and he is getting utterly, utterly dumped. Like, I mean, it looks a total beating. The board flips over and he's getting hit round left, right and centre. Sort of, he must have had whiplash, whatever it is you would have thought he got the message from that but 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 clearly not i mean he loves it you know there's a buzz about it and there's a lovely feel among them the the adrenaline before when you're there and it's 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 pitch black that the day dawn hasn't come and they're all together and they've got this shared adrenaline and buzz about it i don't know what it is you know, because I'm trying to do it from a rational point of view of how I would approach things and I wouldn't do what they, they do. And so trying to approach it in that rational sense, surely you learn your lesson seeing that, knowing as a local. But but obviously not. I mean, all the locals are still in awe of it. The locals are a lot of the spotters who guide the people but generally don't then necessarily turn to being big wave surfers. It takes a, a very select person, I think, to be able to do it. Certainly does, but
0: it also takes a very select person to play a role in the safety of uh, these ventures. Um, Now, staying alive is the objective, but next to the surfer themselves, no one contributes more than the jet ski drivers who assist them, tow them in and out. Uh, You mentioned Sergio Cosme. Um, He's not the only one, but uh, uh, he's attracted the nickname of the Guardian Angel of Nazare for his uh, daring rescues. That in itself is an incredible risk
1: to take. Yeah, it is. And, And you sort of... With him, there's another guy called Alamal de Marecias, yes, um, Marecias, sorry. Sometimes when I'm talking to them, I see like a haunted look in, in their eyes. And maybe as a journalist, I'm reading too much into it, taking too much into it, because so much weight is on them. You know, there's a big pressure every time that goes on. While they're working in their team and rescuing their team, they've always got their eyes for everyone else, for their friends, rivals, even people they don't got on so well with, because they want don't want this tragedy to happen. So I think it's actually incredibly stressful um, thing and we had one moment where uh, one guy had his arm sort of snapped and his elbows pointing in the wrong direction someone else is in hospital but but okay and they come back and they're like oh that's fine you know everyone's all right and i'm like everyone's not all right you know people are, we've got three people in hospital here or whatever it is but actually their message is is you know no one died a broken bone that can recover from a you know knocked out front teeth a concussion whatever um but i'm incredibly in awe of these guys because they're taking almighty risks to tow people into the wave of their lives. But almost more important than that is the job afterwards to rescue them, to to ensure they're safe. And I don't know how I do it. Um, Cosme talks about, sometimes Sergio talks about how some people don't even thank him, you know, scoop them, save them, and they would have most likely died without him. And they don't say thank you. So I, I think it must be a frustrating thing at the same time. But, you know, I, I, that's why I felt it was so important to have a rescue driver. While he can surf the big waves, it was important to have him as a big character because of how integral his role is in in Nazareth and the surfers staying alive.
0: Now, you lived amongst these people for an entire season. From your observations, and other than actually surfing, how do surfers prepare for big waves? Now, I mean, the mental challenge alone must be enormous.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think... Um, it's changing it's becoming more professional they're less the surf dudes that we might think stereotypically in in the movies and tv shows that we see you just have to go on their social media and see the work they do they're incredibly fit work very hard quite a lot of them now use psychologists as well so getting the mental preparation right because to throw yourself into that e- even if you are an extreme sport athlete re- requires you know something else so they're using psychologists but i find the preparations fascinating it's not just that the mental stuff and the fitness but they have these warehouses which they share with the fishermen they sort of in juxtaposition they're opposite each other and and beside each other as neighbours but they all go like the day before and all the mechanical work is done ensuring the jet skis are right you've got the right suits with the gas canisters that can inflate you've got the radios working you've got the um other you know maybe little tops put over the top so you're bright pink so you're easier to spot etc cetera, etc cetera. so all that meticulous preparation there's little things like making sure the stickers of your sponsor are on top of the board things that you and i wouldn't necessarily think about straight away and and that that's amazing so that's all done and then off they go to bed get up in the morning You know, they might not come back into the harbour until lunchtime or until the end of the day if they've got enough fuel packing food for the day, which you wouldn't think of like a bag of nuts and um, dried fruit and things like that. But getting everything together and feeling the buzz is so exciting. You you don't want to get in the water, but you just sort of want to be a part of that. The preparation of getting all the jet skis and everything lowered into the water. And one of the bits I love, the final preparation, as the jet skis go out the harbour, Opens out, and you'll see the lighthouse in the distance, and they have to curl around that before they leave this harbor alongside all the fishing fishing vessels. They just pause together and often hold hands, and some are very religious um, There's a big uh, Catholic movement in there and actually twinned with Brazil and some of the Brazilians come from from there, so they're very religious, so a lot of them will pray to God, um, but the rest of them are actually very spiritual, so they'll 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 say a prayer of sorts to to Mother nature just to all get back safe and I really love that aspect. Disasters are inevitable in a sport
0: like big wave surfing. How do they shake off near disasters? Andrew Cotton even has a top five worst near disasters, which implies
1: he's got more than five. The book, as I said before, opens with him um, getting smashed against some rocks and then one more wave hits him and he's in, in in serious trouble. And Nick Von Rupp says one in 10 chance of surviving at that point. Somehow he does survive. But they see in a different way, they while it looks perilous and dreadful to us they feel like there is an element of control there is some problem they, they they have prepared so meticulously that they feel they can get away with it but also I guess there's that sense that you never believe it's going to happen to you that the tragedy will never hit you that the big injury will never hit you and, and maybe that's the approach you have to always take into it to have that self-belief uh or blissful unawareness I mean surely they're aware of it because they've had their close scrapes but they feel I don't think they feel invincible but they feel they've got all the preparations to do to be able to do it. There is a risk there but they've tried to diminish that risk as much as possible. So they're taking a calculated risk and they believe it's a a, a sensible enough one. I've only got one final question for you. Why? Why do people do it? What's the motivation for it? I've done a whole season, I've been different points as well. I still don't entirely have the answer. It's a bit the comparison I try to use is is a boxer. I don't understand why people punch someone in the face or get punched in the face. You know, obviously, you don't choose to do, but you know, why wh- why would someone do that? Th- there's different aspects I think with the big wave surfers. One, they're athletes, so they want to. Be the best of the best, and they want to get a bigger wave and be the guy that everyone talks about or the girl that everyone talks about. So there's a big part there. There's that adrenaline rush, that extreme sports athlete. There's, I'm sure, there's more research to come, but they're wired differently. I'm sure if you look at their brains, there's there's there's, there's 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 something there that's different to to most normal human beings. So they're chasing that adrenaline. But the other part of it, I think, is as, as well as these people that grew up in water, so they're water men and women who love water for the whole of their lives, and there's that mother nature element. There's also this quite special community, and this is grows and grows and they're a band of something a collective and while they're rivals and they can butt heads and there's egos and there's fights and rows they have this very special bond and i think that's a huge part of it that keeps them all coming back in a very special place there's a magic to Nazare people talk about beyond its beauty there's something there that's just a magical part and i think that community and that place keeps on um, lowering the back each year matt magindy thank you so much
0: for joining me on the good reading podcast
1: thanks so much for having me on it's been great
0: I've been talking to Matt Magindy at his new book, Nazare, Life and Death with the Big Wave Surfers. It's published by Welbeck, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People Gift Card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au.